Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. I hope you are reading through your Bible and that this week you read 1st and 2nd Samuel this coming week. First and second Kings in the Hebrew Old Testament, the books of first and second Kings were one book and they narrate the reign of Solomon and then the division into two kingdoms. Um, The first book of Kings opens with the Hebrew nation and all its splendor and second Kings ends with the Hebrew nation in ruin it opens with the building of the temple in 1 Kings, ends with the burning of the temple in 2 Kings. A period of 400 years, about 400 years between 1 and the Kings and the end of 2 Kings. 1 Kings, pretty simple to divide. Part 1, chapters 1 through 11, the, the kingdom is united. Part 2, the kingdom is divided. Verse, chapters 12 through 22. And then in 2 Kings, the events of Israel are chapters 1 through 10. Part 2, the events of both kingdoms in chapters 11 through 17. And part 3, the events of Judah. The kingdom's going to divide after Solomon dies. You got a bunch of kings that come in there that it's, it's awful. And the kingdom's going to divide. And the 10 tribes keep the name Israel and they're the northern kingdom Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they have the southern kingdom. Northern kingdom, the capital is Samaria. Southern kingdom, the capital is Jerusalem. Now, I want to pick a passage today. I had no idea that this was all going to coincide with recognizing the veterans. But I want to talk about a general today. Second Kings chapter 5. When we looked at the book of Ruth, we saw a beautiful picture of redemption. When we looked in 2 Samuel, we saw a beautiful picture of grace with Mephibosheth. Today, we're going to look at a picture of salvation, and you're going to see a non-Jewish person here, Naaman. In fact, if you'll follow along, I'll begin reading in verse 1, chapter 5, 2 Kings Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, or or Aram, A-R-A-M, Aram, which is another name for Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, the king, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 750 pounds, 6,000 shekels of gold, 150 pounds of gold, 
10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out now to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. I want to hear you groan. So I'm going to tell you this story. Some of you aren't even going to get it. I was a truck driver, had a huge tractor trailer rig. He lost control of his rig. He plowed into an empty toll booth on a toll road, smashed it to pieces. He climbed down from the wreckage. Within a matter of minutes, a truck pulled up, had a crew of workers. They got out, took all the broken pieces from the former toll booth, spread some kind of creamy substance on it. Then they began fitting the pieces together. In less than an hour, they had the entire toll booth reconstructed and looking as good as new. Truck driver was amazed and he asked the crew chief, what was that white stuff that you used to put all those pieces together? And he said, are you ready for this? It was toll gate booth paste. There's one right there shaking his head. Uh, that's what I'm looking for right there. You know, we need to laugh a little bit, don't we? <laughs> We're going to look at somebody whose broken life was put back together today. Naaman, a general, commander-in-chief. And I believe it, this actually happened, but I also believe it is a beautiful picture of what happens in salvation. 
So let's begin by looking at it. And first, we see a universal picture of sin sickness. You see, for all his prestige and all that Naaman had, he had leprosy. And leprosy in those days was, I guess the closest thing we could say today would be like AIDS today. It was no cure. It was going to take your life. And this great warrior would have lived an ideal life had it not been for this disfiguring disease. There were different kinds of leprosy. They were all bad. And you had to distance yourself and you declared that you were unclean. It was highly contagious. We don't know anything about that though, do we? All of you coming in with masks on today. Well, leprosy did not care who you were or what you had. In fact, the same thing with sin. With sin in your life, everybody has sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have. And you'll notice a couple of things that even though Naaman had these things, he still had leprosy. For one, regardless of his position, he was the military leader. He was like the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a five-star general. And the military leader of one of the region's most powerful nations, and he was in a great position. He still had leprosy regardless of his position. He was the cream of the crop. He lived in the upper crust. He caroused among the elite. Listen to the description of him. He was a commander. He was great. He was highly regarded. He was victorious. He was valiant. Here was a man that had prestige and position and he was successful. He was a winner. He was wealthy. He was a hero. Respected. But did you notice that three letter word in verse one? But a leper. Folks, I want to tell you something. Doesn't matter what position you have today, you are still a sinner separated from God. You were born that way. And no matter what position you achieve, sin doesn't care. He also had leprosy regardless of his popularity. It says he was honorable. He was highly respected, a man of valor. His courage and bravery were a matter of record. Apparently, Naaman was a likable man. In fact, his name even meant pleasantness. People liked him. He was popular. It's amazing today who people admire. The World Almanac and Book of Facts surveyed eighth graders, eighth graders, and asked them who were the people they admired the most. And they discovered that the top 30 names were movie stars and athletes. Not one of them mentioned a religious leader or a statesman or an author or a painter or a doctor or an astronaut or an educator. It tells you a lot about our times, doesn't it? If a person can run or they look pretty or they can sing, they're popular. Sin doesn't care how popular you are. You're still separated from God. He had leprosy regardless of his possessions. 
Now, money makes people popular. People want to be around people that have money, but it won't keep a person from facing eternity without Christ. Regardless of your possessions, you're still a sinner. One man bought a $50,000 life insurance policy before he got on an international plane trip. Actually, it was a $500,000 policy. And then when he went in the restroom, he stepped on one of those scales that you put the money in and a little card comes out, supposedly tells your fortune, and it said, a recent investment may pay big dividends. <laughs> it's amazing how we think if we have possessions that we have the ability to do anything we want. You know, there was an article about people who win the lottery. A long list of disasters that followed them. For example, lottery millionaire Michael Allen was bludgeoned to death in Lewiston, Maine. Lottery winner Billy Bob Harrell, who won $31 million in the Texas lottery, committed suicide. Patrick Collier won a million dollars in the lottery. Two weeks later was arrested for allegedly choking and punching his fiance in the face. Lottery winner Phil Kitchen was found dead on his couch from the overconsumption of whiskey. Lottery winner Dennis Elwell died from drinking cyanide. A 16-year-old lottery winner in the UK named Callie Rogers said, some days I don't even want to leave my house because people scream abuse at me. Two months ago, I thought I was the luckiest teenager in Britain, but today I can say I've never felt so miserable. Lottery millionaire Kevin Lee Sutton was charged with attempted murder for attempting to shoot another man in the head with a 22 caliber pistol. Seattle lottery millionaire Rick Kamut was shot to death by police in a parking lot after he refused to drop his pistol. Gerald Mushwagon won $10 million in the lottery, spent it all in seven years, and then hanged himself. William Post III, who won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery, died in bankruptcy, and he told an interviewer, everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork. It's a paradox, isn't it? You can be very, very successful and have all the things that money can buy, but a leper, a sinner. And he had leprosy regardless of his power. Naaman was a brave warrior and a smart military strategist. His position in the government didn't change the fact that he was a leper. His popularity with the king and the people of Syria made him no less a leper. His skill and power made him no less a leper. Only by the direct intervention of God could Naaman be helped. And folks, it doesn't matter how much power you have and what position you have and how much wealth you have. Unless you know God, you are still powerless. There's nothing that you can do about the sin in your life that has separated you from God. Naaman is a perfect picture of an unsaved sinner. People on this earth, if they don't know Jesus, all that they have, this is as good as it's ever gonna be for them. But they're still empty. He pictures one who needs not just a cleansing of the flesh, but also a cleansing of the soul and spirit. He's a picture of a person that needs salvation. He's going to die if he's not healed. And whatever the sinner may be in the eyes of the world, 
doesn't change your status with God. People may think you're great, but you're still a sinner in the eyes of God because our sin has separated us from him. Now, God loves us, but your status with God is not changed because of what the world thinks of you or has given you. It's changed because of what Jesus has done for you and you placing your faith and trust in him. But you know what? God's already intervened on his behalf and he doesn't even know it yet. That's what's amazing. Because his his story continues. I want you to notice an unlikely, an unidentified person here who shares. I mean, the Syrian invaders had were always raiding the Israel's northern border and they were taking stuff, plundering it, and they captured a little girl. Some think she was anywhere from nine to eleven years old. They brought her to Naaman. We don't know if he sold they sold her to him or gave her to him. But this young maid was an Israelite by birth. She was taken as a captive. She was taken from her family, and she was now waiting on Naaman's wife. But somehow they must have been kind to her because she she was very kind to them. And she uh, didn't allow her situation to keep her from saying, if Naaman could go to Israel and meet the prophet Elisha, he could be healed. Now, would you have done that to your captor? If you knew they were dying, would you have helped them? What I want you to see is it doesn't take a person in position or high degree or above average intelligence to be a witness for Christ. This girl was a nobody. She was a nobody who knew somebody. And we are all nobodies who know somebody. It's not what we have and what we know, it's who we know. This little nobody told Elisha, excuse me, told Naaman about Elisha. Did you know you can share Christ wherever you are? It's possible to be unknown and obscure, but still be influential. Did you know that? You don't have to be known to be influential. Do you know who Paul Revere was? Y'all had history. You never know what's being taught. But y'all had history. You know who Paul Revere was. Well, I bet you don't know who Israel Bissell was. Israel Bissell. Now, same night, Paul Revere. April 1775. Israel Bissell also was a writer who took off but went the other direction from Paul Revere. He went south and he rode like the wind. He, he rode to the town that normally takes a day's ride. He got there in two hours and his horse dropped dead when he got there. He got on a new horse. He took off again, racing through Connecticut, New York, and Pennsylvania, spreading the alarm that the British troops had opened fire on the colonial farmers in Lexington, and the British were coming. And so he rode 350 miles in six days on a horse. But why do we remember Paul Revere? He only rode 20 miles. I'm not discounting what he did. Well, the reason we remember is because of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere. No one wrote a poem about Israel Bissell, but he's virtually unknown, but he helped save the colonies and helped establish the United States of America. 
Well, folks, people may not know you in general. Well, you not, may not be well known, but that does not mean that God can't use you to change the course of another person's life. And that's what he did with this little girl. She's not even named. Very unlikely she was a slave girl, but why did she share? Why did she do it? First of all, because of concern for Naaman. She didn't hate this man who'd captured her. She only saw his need. She wasn't obligated to tell Naaman about Elisha, but after all, she had her own problems. She was away from home, may never see her family again, but still she noticed this man had a need. And you and I need to notice people who have a need, and they need Jesus. Amen. Our nation is so in need of Jesus. And we need to be unselfish enough to tell other people the good news about him. But, but he also, she told him because of confidence in God. She knew what God could do. Luke 137 says, with God all things are possible. Nothing is impossible. This young girl knew of Elisha and the miracles that he had performed. And she said, there is one in Israel that can help you. Let me tell you, do you have confidence in God? Are you sure after all the news you've been hearing and all, you still got confidence in God? You still think God's in control? Still think God's on the throne? Yeah, I do too. I do too. I, I still think that we belong to him and he knows our name and we're his children and he's the ultimate authority in our life anyway. Amen. So this little girl tells Naaman, you need to go to Israel and Naaman does what a lot of people do. He tries things on his own. So I want you to see a useless pursuit through self-striving. I want you to notice several things that he tried to do. You know, first of all, he went to his own king and he said, there's a, there's a person in Israel, I've been told that can heal me of my leprosy, can I go? And the, and the king of Syria said, yeah, let me write him a letter and you can take it to him and then he'll know we're not trying to invade Israel. And so they write a letter and Naaman takes off on his own to Israel and I want you to notice all the wrong things that he did. Several wrong things. First of all, he tried to pay the wrong price. Now, Naaman was carrying 750 pounds of silver. I did a quick uh, figure this morning. I looked up the price of silver. It's just over $25 a troy ounce. There's 14 troy ounces to a pound. You do the math. He had $273,437.50 worth of silver if you just rounded off to $25. That's a lot of silver, 750 pounds. And he had 150 pounds of gold and I looked up the price of gold and did the multiplication. He had $3.5 million worth of gold. So close to $4 million worth of silver and gold he's carrying. Now, it took some folks to carry that. He didn't put all that on one horse. He's got an entourage with him. He also had 10 sets of clothing added to this amount of money. He was going to pay a high price. He was willing to pay a high price. What do you, what do you pay for a soul? What do you pay for a life? We know they're worth it. 
But it also reminds me of Matthew 16, 26, which says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He was willing to give money and a lot of it, but that's not what he needed. And a lot of people think they can buy their way into the kingdom. You can't. He also went to the wrong person and place. <laughs> Naaman wrote the king, or actually the king of Syria wrote the king of Israel asking for his help. And the king of Israel was a man named Jehoram and he was not a godly man. In fact, he was a wicked king leading Israel down the path of ruin and immorality and spiritual ruin. He was a paranoid, weak man who reacted in fear. When he got the letter, he said, look, He's trying to trick us. Who am I? I'm not God. I can't do anything for him. He's trying to invoke some conflict here. He was so paranoid. Naaman figured, well, hey, I'll just go to the top. I got news for you. No politicians or presidents have the cure for our greatest need. Now, you would think it by hearing people talk. The reply of the king of Israel indicated his unbelief. He didn't even know there was a prophet in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. Isn't it amazing today how people go to the wrong person? You know, if I smiled a lot and just spoke positive things and told you things you wanted to hear all the time, we'd have a lot bigger crowds. But I'm not young enough to do that anymore. If you only knew what I was thinking. <laughs> I saw advertised on television last night. You can now buy a little electronic box that has the sayings from a particular pastor in Texas. So you can sit and punch the button and hear him tell you good things. I have no words for that. If you were reading scripture, fine, but to, you can have your best life now. You gotta have something behind that. I'm being ugly now, aren't I? Let me move on. Don't go to the wrong people. If, they don't, if, they, if the person does not point you to Jesus, don't go to them. Nobody on this earth can save you, only Jesus Christ. And if they do not point you to salvation through Jesus Christ, don't go to them. And don't go to that place. Then Naaman, he's got the wrong perception and plan. Now, evidently, he's been watching one of those late-night healing services on Christian television because he envisioned some sort of public spectacle where he could go to the prophet and he's going to come out and do this great routine then perform some dramatic healing ceremony. Elijah sends word to the king of Israel, hey, don't tear your clothes, send him to me. They will, he'll know that there's a, a prophet in Israel of the one true God. And so Naaman 
and all his caravan of horses, camels, soldiers, servants, flag bearers, or who knows what, all go to Elisha's house, and he's ready for Elisha to come out and heal him. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. I mean, that chaps him off big time. He doesn't even come to the door. Sends a servant out there. Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. What? I mean, he is, he's really mad. In fact, if you look in verse um, 11, Naaman became furious. He went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, some translations say, I thought he was going to do this. I thought he would do that. Folks, I want to tell you that's the problem. I thoughts have sent many people to hell. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. Naaman's big problem, he thinks he is somebody. He gets special treatment. After all, he is a commanding general. I raise my hand, they go to battle. I lower my hand, the troops come off the field. Whatever I say goes. So he travels with this large entourage to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't even act like it's a big deal. Tell him to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Well, that even makes him mad because the Jordan River is 25 miles from there. And Naaman says, you know what? If I'm going to dip in a river and I'm going to have to strip myself of all the stuff that I normally have, my sword and my spear and my medals and my general outfit, and I'm going to have to humiliate myself, then I'm, I, at least let me go to the Abana or the Farpar rivers in Damascus. And by the way, the Greeks called Abana, and the Greeks and the Romans called it the river of God because it was so beautiful. It was crystal clear. It was, had cool water. It was a perfect place for swim, swimming. It was a beautiful place. Now, the Jordan, on the other hand, I've baptized people in the Jordan. Some of you have been there. Both times or however many times I've done it, it's cold, and you can't see the bottom. A lot of times it's muddy looking. It's nothing to speak of. It's not very wide, except in the rainy season it would be very wide. But... He doesn't want to go that. I would rather go to the Abana River, the river of God. But you see, once again, people think they can negotiate with God. I don't want to do it your way, God. I have a better way. After all, this is the 21st century. After all, I mean, we're more educated now and, and we don't do stuff like that and, and, it, and the sin is not the same as it was a long time ago. It's different now. It's what people think. God's not as mad about sin as he used to be. He's kind of softened up on it a little bit. And after all, it is a little narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way. So God probably, God, there's probably a plan B, isn't there? I'd rather have plan B or C. After all, in America, we're used to a number of choices. I, I, I want a menu. Let me pick off the menu what I want to do to be saved. And I promise you, you can find a group of people calling themselves a church that will fit whatever you want on the menu. And you can join them but you're going to get anything but peace and salvation 
because they're not going to point you to Jesus. Wrong perception. How many times do you hear these celebrities say, well, we're all serving the same God. We're just going in different directions. God told Naaman, he said, you go wash in the Jordan seven times or you die. Kind of reminds me of the man who was on an international flight and this flight attendant came up and said, sir, uh, it's time for dinner. We're gonna serve dinner. He said, well, what are my choices? And she said, yes or no. (laughs) Well, when it comes to God, it's yes or no. Yes, you take what I provided or no, you don't, and you don't get it. So Naaman goes off in a rage. Now, I want you to notice what I, what I call this unique, the one-of-a-kind prescription for salvation. It's a picture here. And Naaman goes off in a rage, and, and it's amazing. The, what's Naaman's real problem here? It's not leprosy here. It's pride. And pride makes some of the smartest people do very stupid things. His pride won't let him do what Elisha told him to do, be cured. So he's going to leave just as diseased as he came because of his pride. Isn't that amazing? That's the point one of his servants was making in verse 13 when the servant said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you just wash and be cleansed? I mean, can you imagine if he had told, if Elijah had said, you know, all right, give me $4 million, he'd have given it. Or, oh, I tell you what, you take this knife and you cut yourself and you put some of your blood on the altar. He'd have done it. How about you crawl through this field of glass and you'll be healed. He would have done it. But it was too elementary for him. Naaman wanted something significant. You see, see, people with pride think, I have to do something in order to be part of the salvation process. I mean, it can't be God does it all. That's what they think. But there's two parts to this. The first part of salvation is submission. It's sobering to think that his pride almost prevented him from being physically healed and knowing Jehovah God. The prophet's instructions seem too simple. And there's so many people today that have so much this world has to offer from power and prestige and knowledge and position and possessions and whatever. And they think, well, you know, if I come to God, I will do it this way. And then God says, you know what? You come to me in humility and submit your life to me. When you have to admit that you are a sinner, that you are lost, there's no other way, and and you swallow your pride and say, Lord, I don't care. I submit my life to you. And right behind that comes surrender. I, I submit to your authority. 
I surrender my life. And so the servant's argument convinces Naaman to go to the River Jordan. 25 miles. He takes off all his outward worldly stuff. Why, why seven times? Seven is the number of completion and perfection. Seven is the number that used in the Bible many times for perfection and completion. And Naaman's only hope of becoming perfectly whole was to surrender to God's plan. And so can you imagine him going out in the River Jordan and he dips a couple of times and he looks and the sores and the bumps and the disfigured skin, it's, it's still all there. So he goes down two or three more times and probably about the sixth time, he's probably thinking, this is ridiculous. But then on the seventh time, can you hear, can you imagine the gasp from all the people when they look at Naaman and he is perfectly cleansed and clean. No more scabs, no more sores like the skin of a little baby. That's what happens to you and me when we give our life to Christ and, and God covers our sin with his righteousness. And when God sees us, he sees us as clean. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And so when you come to God asking him to forgive you of your sin because Jesus lived a perfect life and Jesus went to the cross willingly and God put your sin and mine on his, on his life and he died, he paid the price, the wages of sin is death. He died for us, rose again, seated at the right hand of God and we now place our faith and trust in him. We surrender our lives to him. <laughs> Two things happen after Naaman is cleansed. The first thing he does is declare there's only one true God. Now that's a pretty significant statement from a Syrian general, a pagan Syrian general. Because not only had he been cleansed on the outside, been cleansed on the inside. And the second thing is, did you notice the first thing he, he, he declares to God that there's only one true God and then he wants to give. Now, he goes back to Elisha and he said, I, I want to give a gift. Well, Elisha doesn't take it and the reason Elisha doesn't take it because he didn't want people to think that Elisha didn't want people to think that he can just be paid and heal people. Plus, he knew that God did it anyway. But what, the point I'm trying to make is, is that you know, when you give your life to Christ, he puts give in you. You want to, you care about other people. You want to help other people. You give to his work. You can never repay what God's done for you, but you want to be part of it. I am so grateful, God, for what you've done for me. And that's why when you come to know Jesus, he changes everything. Is there anything on this earth that you wouldn't try to do to save one of your children? If one of your children was stricken with a, an, with a disease, you would try to move 
mountains in order to get what they needed for cure or for help. It would be no object. But why is it that when it comes to your eternal soul and life that people say, no, I'm not going to do that. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? A beautiful picture of salvation. Pride, I mean, you see it all here. People that are trying to do it on their own, you see the pride. And I wonder today, where are you in your life with the Lord? Are, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Is he your authority? Because if he's not, you're in for a world of hurt the rest of your life and heartache because you'll never find any peace, even in the midst of chaos. It's hard enough right now with all of the divided nation. It's hard enough right now because of all the COVID and all the stuff and all the people and the fear. But aren't you glad that you know Jesus and you know that one day, you know where you're going one day. You know where you're going one day. Well, why wouldn't people want that? We have been cured of sin. Now, still, we still struggle. Don't misunderstand. We've been cured. Let me put it this way. We've been cured of the penalty of sin. Because we're not going to die. You're never going to die. You're never going to cease to exist. Would you bow your heads with me? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior... You can receive him and commit your life to him right now. If you're watching us online, you hit that connect button. You hit that I need prayer button. Somehow, before you disconnect, you let somebody help you know about knowing Jesus. But you ask God to forgive you. And God wants to forgive you. And God will forgive you. But you've got to submit to him. And then you ask the Lord Jesus. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You ask him to come into your life. The Holy Spirit will enter your life. You ask him to save you. And you surrender your life to him. Heavenly Father, we pray that even now you're speaking to hearts and lives that need to be changed. You're bringing people to you that need to be saved. We pray that they would not let their pride get in the way anymore. We have so much pride in this world that we see how it just defies you. And you've set yourself up against the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And so we pray, God, that people would come to you. I pray for those that need a church. This is just a hospital for sinful people who've been saved, forgiven, graced. I pray that you continue to bring people to be part of this fellowship. I pray for those that can't come and haven't been able to come in so long. Lord, let them know how we still love them, how we miss them, but we pray that that you'll continue to use them. Pray for those that need to be baptized. Oh, they've committed their life to you. I pray you give them the courage to to unashamedly declare, I am a follower, believer. I'm a Christ follower. 
And for those of us, Lord, who've known you for a while now, we thank you for reminding us of just what you've done for us, how we could not save ourselves, but you graced us and gave us mercy, forgiveness. Again, if you are watching online, would you just hit that connect button and let us help you know Jesus? If you're in this room, you can take that card that's in the seat pocket in front of you and it says, my decision today. And you can indicate whatever the decision is or write it in if you need to and leave it in the box by the door as you leave. Or some of us will be standing here, some pastors will be at the front and we'd be happy, so happy to talk with you about a commitment to Christ. Or if you'd like for one of us to pray with you, we can do that also. So Lord, I, I lift up these that are making commitments to you now and ask that you change our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being our rock. Thank you for being our savior. We pray that others have been brought into your kingdom today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.